I'm so excited about what's going on in our church. And uh, uh, if you're new here, this is a perfect time to figure out what we believe in and what we love and where our heart is. And I want to say hi to everybody watching online. My mom always watches, and she's going to email me today or call me and say, I really like that jacket. She likes it when I dress it up a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. So I did, did that for her. And then we have, a, we have some friends in uh, Northwest Arkansas. Deanie is up there. And then uh, some, we have about three people who watch us online. Um, Washington State, a guy from Finland, and my mom. That's about it. So, hey. Hey, and I want to say hi to all the men who have come to church today at the Ramsey Unit. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. We love you guys. Things are going great there. We have two other campuses, if you're new. We have one inside the loop, which you heard about today. Abe Matos is the pastor there, and uh, it's called the West End Campus, and uh, uh, he, he's doing a great job. And then we have a, a campus in Missouri City, and Chad Harold's the pastor there. And uh, he'd love to, both those guys would love to meet you if you're new at those campuses. And how are my favorite people in the whole world right here in Richmond, Texas? Right here? So good? Ha! Just made that up. Perfect. So Welcome. Hey, you know, here's the thing, what we want, you know, um, we're talking in this series called I Will, of how God leads us. I mean, that's really what we want. That's the only thing that's going to make a relationship with God relevant to you and to me, is if there's some interaction really on a regular basis where you feel like God is either leading, guiding, providing, or changing your course, and that God's involved in your life. When God is the man upstairs, you heard every football player say that, you know, I like to think the man upstairs, you know, that kind of thing. It just feels like a distant uncle who you never see, and when you do, it's kind of awkward, you know, that kind of deal. That's not what God intended. When Jesus came, God in the flesh came and dwelt among us, what he was looking for is a relevant relationship with us. He was, he was talking about how we could respond to an invitation to him so God could have leadership in our life. And that's really the only way that this is going to be relevant. You've, you've figured this out. You, you know this. There's been times possibly in your life where you came to church, you're gung-ho, and all of a sudden this sort of didn't happen anymore. And you just sort of said, what's the use? And you know, you believed all the right things, right? Because like that's what it's really all about, right? Believing all the right things. But it made no difference in your life. And that's why Jesus' invitation that we're coming back to week after week is so powerful. He says, come follow me. Come on, come on, follow me. Come on, I'm going to lead. You're going to follow. I'm going to guide. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. Maybe that's what we don't like about the whole thing. We'd like to rather have a, a, a situation or a structure to where when we decide there's a problem or we decide we need help or we decide we need a miracle, we call in from the bullpen God from far, come on, God, I need your help now. I mean, he kind of comes in. That's not what he intended. What he intended to be a daily kind of part of your life where he leads and guides and directs. And so how do we do that? How do we respond to God's leadership? How do we know when God is leading? How do we hear from God? Because you've had this situation, I've had it, where you've said, God, what am I supposed to do? And nothing. We didn't have nothing to answer. Like, am I supposed to take the job? Am I supposed to move to Houston, Texas? Am I supposed to marry that person? You know, he's like, I don't know. And yet God is saying, I'm speaking, and I want to guide you and lead you. Now, this faith step, this journey is, is somewhat abstract. I get that. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like when you get married. If you're not married here, let me give you... If you're newly married, hang on. So... Uh, if you're engaged, be careful. And uh, because marriage, marriage is a journey. What you do at a marriage is based on 
all the information you have at the time, which sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's not much, uh, I'm going to commit my, the rest of my life to this person, right? And so it's a journey into the unknown. It's a faith step. It's a, uh, I don't know what, I know, I know what I know, but I don't know what I don't know. And so I'm going on this faith journey. And there's times in your marriage, here's where it gets scary, guys. There's times in your marriage where you go, oh, I did not sign up for that. I did not know I was signing up for that level of crazy. And here we are. We're at this high level of crazy. I did not know we were doing that. Okay, great. And you kind of figure out how to adapt and change. Well, that's kind of not particularly exactly, but kind of like what it is with God is that God doesn't give us enough information to make a decision whether we're going to go or not. He just says, come follow me. And then we figure out, oh, I didn't know I was signing up for that. Because, for example, if I was told 40 years ago when I was graduating high school, you're going to be a pastor of a church, start a church in Houston, Texas. I told God one time, this is how funny this is. I told God one time, uh, God, there's only two places I don't want to go. Odessa in Houston. <laughs> Thank God I didn't go to Odessa, that's for sure. Some of you are from Odessa, please email me and be offended. But uh, I've been there. It's a tough place, okay? So it's that idea. It's like, okay, God, God doesn't show you everything. He just shows you, come follow me. And if you want to hear from God, and I know you do, if you want God to direct your steps, and I know you do, I know you want that. You want that because God knows better than you do, and he's going to lead you to a good place. Then we got to figure out how to get in on what God's doing versus trying to get him in on what we're doing. You see the difference there? That's, that's a big difference, you know? Uh, I'm always trying to pull God into my game, and he's got his own thing going on, and he wants to pull me into that. And that's why understanding the difference between under, uh, following God and the micro things. The micro things are like, God, do I take the job? God, what about my health? God, what about my finances? Help me, help me. Those are micro things. Those are important things, and those are the things that drive us to the faith steps. But the macro thing is this God's redemptive plan that he's living out. And if you're going to hear from God, then in far, as far as direction, you've got to figure out how to get involved with the bigger picture of what God's doing. And Paul talked about it. Are y'all still here? God. Uh, I dozed off. I wore this jacket. It was a big mistake. I'm sweating like a pig. I should have never done it. I was trying to be fancy, but ooh, mistake. Anyway, so here's what Paul says. Therefore, if any of you, if you any have, oh, sorry, therefore, if you have any encouragement, there it is, from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if, if any common sharing in the spirit, like if the Holy Spirit has encouraged you, then if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. How? Then he says this in statement. Here's what he's saying before we get to the then. He's saying, if God has made any difference in your life, then there's a new way to live. If God's made a new difference in your life, some sort of transformation, and that's really the deal. A lot of times, and this is some, something you should consider, really. I don't want you to be deceived by yourself. Sometimes what we think is if we believe the right set of theological understandings or believe in some ancient story that happened 2,000 years ago or some sort of righteous moral code that we believe in, that we're okay. And Paul says, no. He says this is an individual. Have you been impacted? It's not some sort of cognitive thing where I believe all the right things and I come here Christmas and Easter and I do all the right religious traditions. It's no, no, no. Paul's saying, listen, if you've had any encouragement all from God, and some of you have, I know I have, God has pulled many of us out of the gutter 
God has pulled us out of a mosh pit of pain and suffering. God has healed our hearts. God has changed our lives. God has given us direction and hope when there was no reason to have hope. I'm telling you, you know this. But if you don't know this, then all of a sudden it's going to be hard for you to find some relevancy in God. That God's going to direct your past. What we want is God to come in from time to time in our foxholes of life. When life gets really tough, cry out to him. And let me tell you something. He loves it when you do that. Even if you hadn't talked to him in a long time. Some of you, here's what we say around River Point and West End. Most people don't come to church for the first time on their best day. And if you're here for the first time and you're not having one of your best days, you're in a perfect place. If you ain't talked to God in a long time, he, he doesn't measure time like that. He's just glad you're talking now. That's the way it is. Isn't that the way it is with parents too? You like, you know... There was a time that one of my adult children wasn't talking to me. And uh, it was so painful, so painful. They weren't talking to me or Lisa. And then all of a sudden, uh, that child started talking. And I didn't care about how long she wasn't talking. I was just so glad she was talking, you know. And that's how God is with you and me. And uh, that's how those relationships are formed. So he's saying, hey, if God's made a difference in your life, then Paul is the leader saying, then make my joy complete. By then, how? By how? By being like-minded, by being together, by being unified, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. So unity is so important. Unity around this redemptive idea that he's talking about. Here he goes on to more explanation. He says, do nothing. Oh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, not all ambition is bad. I'm, he's just saying, be careful here, all right? Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather, this is the idea of Jesus. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interest of others. This is so countercultural. This is the idea that when you begin to follow Jesus, you rush to the back of the line. It's not that you're a martyr or that you have bad self-esteem or you don't understand your value before your creator. It's just that you have a perspective like God because you follow God that other people matter. And because other people matter, they're going to matter to you because they matter to God and you're following God. This is the macro picture. This is the idea. This is the, hey, I'm moving forward here. You want God to speak to you? This is the business he's in. This is not the culture we live in. We live in a me first culture. I'm going to take care of number one. And, and you've got more needs. I know I've got more needs than I can possibly take care of. But I believe this me first culture has keep, keeps us from really understanding how God leads us. Now, I think Paul, I don't really understand how to do this, but I do understand how not to do it, okay? So I want to tell you about obstacles in following God and see if one of these doesn't ring a bell. They should all ring a bell at some point for us. One of the obstacles that Paul mentions here is being disconnected from God. Like he says, if you have any love or any compassion or any mercy or any encouragement, then something should happen. But if you haven't, if there's a disconnect, and listen, I'm going to tell you this because you look defensive, actually, and uh, <laughs> at least here at Richmond, and, um, you know, there's been seasons for all of us, including your pastor here, that there's dry seasons, man, there's like a, God's, I, like, I, I mean, this, I mean, it just doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel real, it's just like, I get 
sidetracked with my own obsession or my own need or my own life or my own whatever it is, pain and suffering. And there's seasons where I'm very disconnected with God. And God understands this. But this is the thing that's the obstacle from following him, from hearing from him. What snaps us back usually to this idea that I need God, because we forget. We, we forget we need God. We forget how desperately we are in need of God. We really feel most of the time very self-sufficient, independent, until there's a crisis. And that crisis is the thing that pulls us back to this, I don't have the resources for this. I don't have the capacity for this. I don't have the solution for this. I can't solve my own problems. Even if the problems that are, you're facing, you created. That's when we cry out to God. That's when we're most connected, quite frankly, when we're needy. But when we feel independent, we just, man, praise God for all of his blessings, you know. <laughs> okay, that wasn't funny. Anyway, so... Disconnected. Here's another obstacle. You're alone. You're doing life alone. You're the lone ranger. I don't need church. I don't need to go. I don't need people. Man, it's about content for you. And you're just reading and doing all the things. You believe all the right things. Congratulations. <laughs> but I don't hear from God. I don't hear God lead me or guide me. And the problem is, is because you're doing this alone. You don't have a community of people you haven't developed. That's why here at our church at River Point and West End, what we say, we, you need a tribe, man. You need people. And the reason is, is because God speaks to through others to you, oftentimes. Not all the time, but oftentimes. So you need a small group. You need a men's group. You need a women's group. You need somebody that you can process and watch life. You need people in your life. I know you don't think you do, but, but you do. You need people in your life that are a little further ahead of you, more mature, have more faith, and you need people in your life that aren't quite where you are and don't understand what you understand. And through it, you're encouraged to be more like Christ as you're encouraging others. But if you do it alone, this is about... This is about you and, and, and your religion being as selfish as everything else. It could be like, this is about me and Jesus. It's not. It's not. It's about being part of God's work, about, about God's purpose, his significance. So if you're doing this alone, I mean, this may be the reason you don't hear from God. I can't tell you. It's, I'm not talking about something like some of you grew up charismatic, and uh, we know who you are, hallelujah, and uh, <laughs> charismatics in our church always sit next to Catholics, I don't know why that is, and uh, there's a tension there, which I love, and um, you know, I'm not talking about a word of knowledge, which is kind of a biblical idea, I'm not, I'm not talking about God told me, I mean, people come up to me sometimes, it hadn't happened in a while, because I tell people not to do it, but uh, people come up to me, I just got a word from the Lord for you, really, oh gosh, okay, what is it? Yeah, I'm fat. Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, I get it. You know, no, that's not the word. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about stuff that's hyper spiritual. I do think some of that stuff happens, but it's, it's crazy uh, things to sort out. So I get confused. But what I have have happened is been with a group of guys, and I've been really struggling with an answer. I've been really struggling with direction. And somebody says something totally unbeknownst to my situation. And when they say that, I know from the Holy Spirit of God, that's what God's saying to me. And uh, I got to do that. There's other times when I'm in a group of people where I see somebody live out their faith in a way that I'm not living out my faith, and I say, I'm not, do I, I'm not there. I want to be there. And that's why you cannot do this work as a follower of Jesus alone. You need other 
people. And if you're not developing that, it's going to stagnate your growth. And you're going, I don't even never hear from God. That's when we walk away from God. I don't even hear. I've asked God. He didn't answer me. It's because you're alone. You know, you're not coming to some sort of community group that says, hey, what's going on? I'm not talking about spilling your guts. I'm just saying being around, okay? And then the third thing, the reason we don't hear from God is because we're self-focused, because we live in a culture that's self-focused. And I I just want you to hear me clearly because I don't want you to get your feelings hurt. God cares about everything you care about. And God cares about your needs, and God cares about your hurts, and God cares about it, and he's working it out. But this self-focus that our culture has put on us, this selfie, has just hindered our ability to be happy. I'm telling you, God never created you or me to just obsess on ourselves. It'll rob you of joy. Now, I I tell you this. You know this about me because I've been around for a long time. But I, I struggle from depression. And it's not acute at times, but sometimes it gets really difficult. Usually on Mondays. I don't know why that is. But uh, it's like, oh, God, I feel terrible. And, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, and here's what happens with depression for me. Now, I don't, I'm not an expert in depression, but I know for me. I start obsessing over myself. I can throw myself a pity party like you've never seen. I'm telling you, man, I get cakes, a band. It's awesome. You know, it's just like, you know, oh, woe is me. Nobody loves me. I don't measure up. All that. And the most therapeutic thing I can do, I learned this in counseling, the most therapeutic thing I can do is get my eyes off myself because I can't fix all that and start focusing on somebody else. Try to help somebody else. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. We had a lady in our church years ago. Uh, who was dying of breast cancer. She, she was terminally ill. And from time to time, I'd see her up here during the week stuffing seat backs in this, in this auditorium or, or doing, uh, doing other things. And I would talk to her. I'd say, oh, my goodness, uh, you're, you're, you've been so sick. What are you doing up here? She said, this is my therapy. If I sit at home thinking about dying of cancer, it will ruin the days I have left. And I want to help and serve other people. And she was such an encouragement. Well, she did die of cancer. And the funeral was one of the most beautiful things I'll ever remember because everybody got up and talked about what an impact she made in their life because she had a perspective. And I just thought, you should be the pastor of this church. I mean, seriously, I, I don't know that I would have that perspective. If I'm dying of cancer, you talk about a pity party. Man, I'm having one. You know, that kind of, and I guess you go through that, but it's like, man, i got to figure this out. You see, I think Paul knew what it was like to be happy. And I think there's two components that he mentions in this passage about joy and happiness. The first one is this word. It's selflessness. If you want to be happy, maybe the reason you're not happy is because there's not a selflessness. It's about you primarily. Or, or, and, and it's very hard for you to admit that. I mean, it's very hard. Nobody here or at West End, or Missouri City, or even at Ramsey, saying today, I'd like to see a show of hands of everybody who thinks they're selfish. Nobody's raising their hand. Or if they do, they're pointing to somebody. You know, it's like, <laughs> ah. It's hard to self-diagnose, but there's this, this, this idea, and here's the deal. We're all, in, in, in our fear, we all get very selfish, self-absorbed. The second ideal that's behind happiness is humility. Humility. 
This sense of entitlement that comes with this life that we're living kills our happiness. And, 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 and you, you and I have to come to grips with the idea of where we stand in the universe and the creator and what he's done for us. Humility, listen, let me just tell you how humility works. You don't wake up one day and go, you know what I'm going to be today? I think I'm just going to be humble, you know? And again, this is hard to self-diagnose. So if you're sitting here today and goes, I'm not prideful, I'm not arrogant, yes, you are. See, that's the whole proof of the whole deal. And we have, and we're raising very entitled children, and this is the ideal behind this. You know what humility comes from? Humility isn't the decision you make, it's a perspective that you gain. And when you come to grips with the idea that you are a sinner saved by grace and that God showed mercy on you and God loves you and God saved you and God's helped you and he put together your broken life and God is there for you and he'll never leave you and you can't shake his love for you. And all of a sudden you realize how small you are in light of God's big love for us and you gain perspective and you say, oh my goodness, I'm so undeserving. Thank God for his grace. Thanks God for his mercy. Thanks God, God for his provision. You see, that's what brings humility. It's not, it's not bad self-esteem going, I'm nothing. It's this idea that God is so great, that God's done an amazing thing. You see, that's the idea that brings about humility. And what happens when you have selflessness and humility, happiness becomes a byproduct. Happiness is nothing to pursue. It comes as a byproduct of the way you live. And then all of a sudden, things change. First John says it this way. Look, this is the change. This is how we know that lo what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is this redemptive verse. Because Jesus did it, and Jesus said, come follow me, guess what we're going to do? We're going to sacrifice for others. That's the idea behind happiness. And then it says, if anyone has material possessions, now it's getting real, and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Words are cheap, aren't they? Yeah, words are cheap, right? But with actions and truth. See, this idea, God could have come down and dwelt among us, and God's with us, and said, hey, come follow me. And he said, I love you. But his demonstration of love that he laid down his life for us so that we didn't have to pay the penalty for our transgressions. See, he did something. And that's what we, we talk is cheap, especially in this world where words are texted and emailed and direct message. Everybody's got a word. And, and words are important, but words void of actions are meaningless. In fact, they're confusing to our children. Here's a little tidbit. You know how children spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how they spell it. So if you say, I love you, and you ain't got no time for them, that's confusing for children. And so that's, what, um, that's what's being said here. John's saying, hey, man, I love you. This is it. And if you, the thing is, if you have material possessions, and yet you see a need, and don't do anything about it, not every need, but a need, this isn't the love of God. 
This is the idea of sharing. You know who does this well? Children. Children do this well because they have no value of things. They just give things away, right? And because of that, they share. But something happens as we grow up and fear creeps in. And we understand we have a limited amount of material things and sharing really impacts what we are able to have for ourselves. I found this really great short video about children sharing to drive home the point. Watch this quick video. Okay, you over there and you over here. Let's see, I'll help you here. We're gonna take some photos, but the problem is the photographer is late. I'm gonna look for the photographer and then we'll take the photos. Meanwhile, you can have a snack, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go and I'll be back in five minutes, okay? okay? Here I go, count to three. One, two, three. true? Hey, you know what we know about those kids in that video? They were not siblings, okay? Because <laughs> kids don't share. That's not actually not true. Uh, Lisa and I are watching Bo and Ella, our grandchildren this week. Bo is six and Ella's nearly five. And um, yeah, it's, it's wore us out, quite frankly. We've had so much fun. Lisa yesterday makes chocolate chip cookies for them. And we were going to get in the truck and go um, feed their fish, which we don't want their fish to die. It's a big responsibility. He's got to have a fish funeral around the toilet. It's no fun. Anyway, so uh, Ella gets in the truck, which my truck's kind of, there's a step. You got to get into the truck. And um, Bo was getting in the truck. He had his cookie in his hand. He was getting in the truck, and Lisa and I were talking. And, I mean, before I knew it, Bo falls out of the truck into the garage, just boom, 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 cookie everywhere. It was stunning. I thought somebody, I thought his sister had pushed him out. I didn't know. I didn't know what's going on. I go, oh my gosh, what has happened here? And his cookies everywhere. And he gets up. He was so brave. He had a little skin on his deal. And he was most concerned as he got back in the truck, he was most concerned over his cookie. His cookie was ruined, you know, which I get it, you know, that kind of deal. So I said, well, we'll figure out some more cookies when we get back. Let's go feed the fish. So he gets in the truck and I get in the truck. And as I'm getting in the truck, I can hear Ella say, Bo, you can have some of my cookie. And she breaks her cookie off and gives it to Bo. And he says, thank you. And I realized at that moment, these are not our children. Because <laughs> our children would never have done that. You know? I thought, my God, man, we're raising great-grandchildren. I took total credit for the whole thing. And, um, but something happens, doesn't it? You know, we grow up, we have a limited amount of resources. Nobody has unlimited resources but God. And we have this, and we take an inventory, and there's an abstract ideal of an inventory that says, 
here's where I think I'll need, uh, this is enough for me. And we don't really know where that number is or what that thing is, but it never feels like we reach it. And so God's challenging us to take your limited resources and share them. Here's what I know about you and me. This is true for everybody. We want to be generous. You're committed to being generous, but most of us are not generous because we have this false idea that we believe that we have to first take care of ourselves, which there's some truth to that, uh, in order then to have somehow believe in my extra, I'll be generous. But that's not what God calls us to do. When he says, come follow me, maybe this isn't why we're hearing from God. Come follow me. He's saying, take what you have and be generous with what you have. And see, this is the idea, is it applies to everybody. Because even though we have different levels of resources, being generous with what you have, the material things that you have, is transferable to every life. And here's what I do know. This is where it gets mean, so hang on. If you're not generous with what you have now, I'm going to say it because I'm your friend. It won't matter how much money or possessions you get. You won't be generous then either. You just won't be because it's not about your balance sheet. It's about your perspective. And there's always more you can spend on your life. And God's called us into this new way of living and this new way of priorities and these other first. In fact, Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. He says this, either way, Christ's love compels us or controls us. Because we have this relationship with God that's relevant and real, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died. Died to what? Died to our old self, our old life. That there's, I'm not going to live by the standards of this culture anymore. I'm going to do something different. And this is what he says to do. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for who? We're not going to live for ourselves. You know why? Because it destroys, destroys our joy and happiness. It destroys our mental health. It really does. Living for yourself is something that will destroy everything. Instead, we will live for Christ. We're going to live for this bigger idea, this bigger purpose, who died and was raised for us. And you know what happens when you start living this out? You see a relevancy in your relationship with God, and all of a sudden things begin to make sense because God's working in the big picture. And this word creeps into your vocabulary that's very difficult to find today. We should find this word. The word is contentment. It's like, I'm content. Like, here's a scary thought, because I know the answer. Do you have enough? And everybody's saying no. Do you have enough? I have a lot. I'm blessed. I make a good living. I drive a car. I have a house. Is it enough? And that obsession that our culture has with more and having more and having more robs us of joy and happiness. You, I'm going to tell you this because, again, I, I love you. I love you at West End. I love you at Missouri City. I love the men at Ramsey. I'm going to tell you this. When you get more, it'll be hard for you to realize it didn't make you happy like you thought it would when you had to have more. And when you get more, try to follow me, you'll want more. 
because that's the way our brokenness works. And God's giving us a better plan. It doesn't mean you don't have ambitions or a financial plan or, or a plan on retirement. I'm doing all that. It just means if we're not generous with the limited resources that we have today, then we're not going to be generous when we have a lot more of them. No, I'm buying a second home. Or I'm doing something else. I'm going on vacation. Whatever it is. So that's what our church is all about right now. We're saying we're going to think about people who are not here on all three campuses in such a compelling way that we're going to sacrifice for the next three years giving above and beyond what we're already given. So that we can provide space, we can provide more seats, we can provide a place in West End so kids can have a middle school or a high school program. We're going to provide an amazing place for community at the Missouri City campus. We're going to do something amazing. We're going to put air conditioning in the Richmond campus. Won't that be fun? Why? Because we are on a mission and we want to make room for others. And I know it's not a good timing. Somebody said, well, you think this is a good time in a recession? And I said, yes. It's the perfect time. And everybody thought I was nuts or stupid or something. And I said, listen, here's how it works. Because I've been doing this for a long time. When the money is rolling and the stock market is going, people ain't giving. You know why? They're expanding their lifestyle. But when the recession hits, you got to start deciding what's really important in your life. And all of a sudden, you start going, okay. So no, it's not a good time, but here we are, because people need hope, and we're going to provide it. So that's what we're asking. Now, if you're new here, I'm not trying to get in your pocket. I'm just trying to get in everybody else's. So listen. <laughs> you know why I'm doing that? We do the, listen, I've been, I started the church 25 years ago. We've done seven of these, six or seven of these. I've been around for every one of them. Every one of them made me a better man, given me more faith. We've asked our leaders, uh, our, our small group leaders, our, anybody that volunteers and gives, to be early. And so today's the early commitment day. And so we've asked all our leaders to turn in their commitment card. I turned in my, ours this morning. Lisa and I finally came to a great negotiation of what we're going to do. And I actually now feel good about it. It took me a while. And so on the 23rd, we're going to ask everybody else in the church, it's our commitment day. You don't want to miss that day. It's going to be a special day. 23rd, we're going to bring our commitments, and we're going to say, hey, above and beyond our normal budget giving, we're going to give this for the next three years. We're going to give a one-time gift before the end of the year, and then we're going to give a three-year gift for the next three years so that people can find Christ, so we can be part of this redemptive work, so we can share our sandwich with somebody. That's what we're going to do. And not, it's not for everybody, right? I get it. I just hope you, you'll say I will. I'll, I'll go on this unknown journey where I don't know where this is. This isn't a blood covenant. This isn't your ticket to heaven. This is because you're a generous person that wants to make room for people you don't even know. You're going to bump into them one day in heaven, right? I do believe this. On the golf course, probably. Because there's got to be some amazing golf courses. And they're going to say, hey, where, where did you find Christ and forgiveness and grace and mercy? And they say, well, you're not going to believe this. But this crazy church in uh, Texas was doing this thing. And I found a seat. And all of a sudden, they let me process my doubts and take my time. And, man, I found God's redemptive love. And you're going to say, I was part of that church. I didn't even know you. Golly. And you figure it out you're like, 30 years apart coming to church here because, you know, that's the way time works. And, and all of a sudden, there's this bigger eternal thing that's more satisfying 
than you eating the whole sandwich. There's a bigger picture. There's a, there's a story here. I believe in the story. And I'm all in. I will. We're going to give up something so that other people can have what we have. That's what we're going to do. The amount of money isn't important. There are people in our last couple campaigns, there's a couple families that could give millions over three years. Millions. If that's you, I'd like to see you, meet you after church, okay? <laughs> we need to become friends, okay? Or if you have Astro tickets, I'd also like to meet you. Anyway, so, but for most of us, listen, most of us, it's not about the money. I mean, you give you, over three years, you'll be able to give 100000 50000 whatever it is, right? doesn't matter. Some, if you gave $20 a week, $20 a week for three years, you'd give a gift of $3,000. That's a significant gift. It's $20 a week. But it's a commitment. It's, you know? You're thinking, do you know what I could be doing with $3,000? That's the point. That's actually the point. You know what I could be doing with $100,000 for me and my family? Yeah, yeah, I know, exactly. That's, that's actually the point. You decide not to, which is like Jesus somehow. I don't really know how. So be praying. Come on the 23rd, bring your commitments, and let's see God do an amazing work. Let me pray for us, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for our church that cares about people we don't even know, that one day we'll meet in heaven because so many people over 25 years have given so much to make this place on three campuses, now the Ramsey Unit, an amazing place. A place that we can process our faith and find God and find you in a big, powerful way. And, and now we're standing here again needing more space, needing air conditioning, needing uh, renovation, needing a place for community. And, and quite frankly, God, you're saying, come follow me. And we're saying, I don't know. It's the unknown. May you give us the faith to follow you into the unknown. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Maybe you got some questions about our church, or I will, or maybe you just need prayer or someone to talk to. My information is on the screen, and I would love to hear from you. I hope that you have a great week. God bless you. Hugs and fist pounds all around. We'll see you soon.